0: This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. Scientists tell us that in the early part of the sixth century, there was a worldwide radiological event. Radiation uh, permeated the atmosphere. And virologists tell us that in one place, in northern Africa, there was a mutation that occurred in a small flea that could be found on rats, and in 541 AD, a ship carrying grain from Cairo to Constantinople docked and Constantinople carrying the bubonic plague. Within 100 years, one of the largest cities in the world at that time had its population reduced by 40%. To put some numbers on that, just so you can understand what that would look like, Albemarle was about 15,000 people. That means that if you look at somebody right now in the span of just a few years, it would be you or them. Some scientists estimate that when the virus reappeared in what is called the Black Plague in the 1400s, that the population of the world was reduced by almost 100 million people. Within the span of about 150 years. And through time, even up into the 1950s with an outbreak in Singapore and Thailand, right? The plague has continued to emerge. I love the TV show, The Walking Dead, for one reason. It examines life After a catastrophic worldwide plague. And it continues to ask the question that I think that we all want to know. And there's no way to answer that question without putting it in the context of characters and story. Which is one of the reasons why I love the show. Because they constantly are asking the question, what will it take to survive? What will it take to survive after a worldwide, a pandemic exposure to a virus that would kill us? What would it look like to survive? Now... The show is about zombies. So it's a little different than the plague, right? It's got a little different touch. And last week we looked at the fact that many of us in our world, we are zombies. We are literally walking dead. We give the appearance of being alive. We breathe, we eat, we get up and eat our breakfast and go to work and come home. We have babies and families. What is really life is missing. The truth is, is without repreaching a sermon I preached during at the movies, we've all been infected by a pandemic that is much greater than the plague itself ever could be. That's the infection of sin. And we know who person zero was. We know when it happened. We can read in the text of scripture that Adam blew it. That Adam was given a very simple plan from God. And he chose to rebel from it. And let me tell you. There are two things that happen when we encounter God. Only two things. We will either worship and obey. Or we will rebel. And Adam rebelled. And sin entered the world. And it broke everything. We were born into a world broken. I mean literally broken because we were born under, as the Bible tells us in Romans, born under Adam. We were born infected with this disease. And I love that as the TV show begins to unfold. You see in the characters of The Walking Dead. What it takes to survive. And I'll tell you this. This is the first thing in your notes. That we will survive together. We survive together. There's been a few TV shows that have captured my attention that were along this line. A few years ago, even though it had an epically horrible ending, the TV show Lost played out that same scenario. What would it take to survive? And there was a saying in that show that emerged and had some repetition. It was this, that we will live together but die alone. We will live together. We can live together, but we will, if we try to do this on our own, we will die. And that's exactly what you see as the characters have emerged. And the thing that is interesting about the storyline of The Walking Dead is that the dependency on each other has grown as the seasons have progressed. Tonight begins season four of The Walking Dead. I'm excited about that. Okay, I don't know about any of you, but I'm excited that it's getting ready to start back up because there's a few characters that I've fallen in love with because they have taken it on themselves to grow as a character. You see, I love I love the crossbow carrying Daryl Dixon, all right? One, simply because he carries a crossbow, all right? Who carries a crossbow? But he carries a crossbow and... In the first season and a half, he was only interested in himself. He was only interested in himself. He only wanted to take care of himself. But as his relationship with the people that he's traveling with has deepened, you see his character develop and it wants to protect and preserve the relationships that are there. We will survive together as the show unfolds you see a truth that's there that the people around you some of the people will help you some of the people that you're traveling with will hurt you and some will do both some will help you some will hurt you and some will do both But those that are infected with the virus cannot help but hurt you because all they want to do is bite you. The TV show calls them biters. And today, we're going to examine what the Bible says about those people that we can't get close to because they're infected with something. And all they want to do is to bite us and to spread that virus. I want to do that by looking at two passages of Scripture. It's going to be a little bit longer in the text than we normally spend, so uh, we're going to read out of the Bible together. We're going to look at two very similar instances that happened to Jesus, two very similar moments. They're not the same moment, and I'll explain that as we get into it. Let's begin by looking at John 12. John 12. And we're going to read verses 1 through 6. I'm reading out of the NIV. All right, if you are reading along, uh, that's great. If you do not have a Bible with you, we'll have the text on the screen for you. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. That is One of those things that seems like a little subtext, but that means he's about to go into a town where he performed a miracle, where there was a guy who had been clinically dead for three days, who is now alive and thriving. And Jesus is about to go see that family. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. That to me is funny, because Jesus returns to a town where he raised someone from the dead. What do you think is going to happen? They're just going to, like, let him walk through? No. I mean, there's going to be celebrating, and that's exactly what we see happening. There's a dinner. Martha served while Lazarus was among the reclining, those reclining at the table with him. Here's this man who is dead, and he is kicked back at the table eating with Jesus. That's good. That junks crazy right there. Um He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. In this moment, Mary extravagantly welcomes Jesus into this party. The Bible tells us that the perfume that was poured over his feet worth more than a year's wages. You don't own that kind of perfume, all right? I don't get, y'all might have some Ralph Lauren at home, right, some Estee Lauder, whatever you got. I'm going to promise you that even that at 50 bucks a bottle is going to be a big sacrifice to pour over somebody's feet. We don't have any $20,000, $30,000 perfume sitting around the house. But that's exactly what we find in that moment. And she was so willing to lavishly. And, and Judas sitting back says what? I'm, let's just be honest. Some of y'all would have said this. What's that girl doing? She crazy. You know how much that stuff costs? It's, it's thousands of dollars. And she just poured it out on his feet. On his feet. On his feet, seriously. That's what Judas says. And the Bible goes to great lengths as John is writing that gospel to let us know why Judas said that. Judas said that because in the back of his mind, he had a better plan for that perfume. He had a better plan. He had a plan that he had figured out. He had things that he thought should have happened. It was, why don't we sell that? Get wages from it. And then that way I can manage the profit from that waste. I want you to see the first characteristic that I want to point out to you about biters. It's this, that biters are always greedy. Biters are always greedy. And when I drop that term, greedy, there's a certain connotation and definition that we've put behind it that I don't think is exactly right. There's a certain perception that we have about people that we think are greedy that I don't think is, it, it is so nuanced that we don't get the breath of what God is showing us in this passage. It's this, that greedy people always have their own plan for your time, talent, and treasure. They have their plan for you. You see, if we... Simply allocate greed to money. We miss the fact that God has asked us to steward more than just money. He's asked us to steward our time and our talents. And a greedy person says, I know what you need to do with that. You need to follow my plan with your time. you your." Your time needs to wrap around my time. You need to do what I say with your money. There's always going to be a tension if you don't do what I say. And that's because this. God's plan for us, we learned last week, is to bring life to us. Jesus says I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. If God's plan, if what he ta- the way that he tells you to navigate stewarding your time, talent, and treasure leads to life. And someone else says, I want your time, your talent, and your treasure. They are life stealers. They are life stealers. Biters are life stealers. But I want to look at another passage where something similar happens to Jesus in Luke 7. Now, it is a common question. and I just want to deal with this before we get there. To ask, is this the exact same moment? Is Luke telling the same story that John is. He is not. Okay? This is not the same moment. It looks similar. The text reads similar. But this woman and Mary of Bethany are not the same person. All right, the text that we're about to read this moment happens way early in the ministry of Jesus the story that we just read out of Luke, out of John 12 actually it's just several weeks before Jesus is executed all right so two different times two different areas two different women let's read out of Luke 7 36 through 39 now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus over to have steaks and ribs with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house. And what is Jesus doing? Reclining at the table. That's how Jesus sits at the table. He's reclined. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, that's one of those moments that you sit back and go, what? You mean really, you just let this woman in your house? You gave her access to your property? Somehow she got it. She didn't just wander past the gate through the front door, into the living room, right? So this woman that you're now completely criticizing Jesus publicly because he has let her weep at his feet, and now she has washed his feet with her hair and poured perfume on them. See, it seems similar, but it's a different moment because it was customary when you entered a home to have a servant, and it was really one of the lowest forms of servitude that you would have in your house. That there would be a servant that would wash your feet because you walked in and your feet were dusty and dirty. And so there would be a servant that would wash your feet and would dry them. And if it was a nice house and they were treating you well, they would put a little perfume on there. And this woman has washed Jesus' feet with her tears. As she has encountered the living word of God in repentance. And there is a Pharisee who is sitting back and criticizing Jesus for letting her do that. I want to tell you this. It is quite easy to criticize someone when you don't know what's going on. It is really easy to criticize someone when you don't know what's going on. And I love, there's some times that Jesus has criticism thrown at him and he just takes it. That's fine. You want to say that, that's fine. This isn't one of those moments. I love that. All right, so Jesus, Jesus says to Simon in verse 40, Simon, I have something to tell you. <laughs> this is going to be good, isn't it? You know, like Jesus, is, he ain't going to play with him right now. now. tell me, teacher, he said. Kind of get the condescending tone this there. Tell me, teacher. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them would love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, had not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. In this moment, Jesus draws a stark contrast between the Pharisee, the Judas, the biter, and the woman that sits at his feet. And it can be summed up with one word, that she was generous. She was generous. The woman that was sitting at his feet made a choice to be generous. She chose to be generous with her assets and affections. She chose to lay there and to wipe his feet with her tears and hair. She chose to take the perfume and to anoint him. She chose to be generous and Jesus says to Simon, you didn't give me any of th- any of this. You chose not to and now you're going to criticize her because she did your job. I want to give you a barometer for a healthy relationship. A healthy friendship, a healthy relationship with somebody at work. So, that you can navigate that and understand that healthy relationships are built on mutual generosity. Healthy relationships are built on mutual generosity. And here's what I mean by that. Remember when we were talking about. Judas being greedy, and I said, it's not about the fact that he wanted just the money. He wanted to control the plan for everything. That's what greed is. I want to control the plan that you're living out for your money, for your time, for your talent. When we're generous, we affirm and free the people that we love to affirm God's plan for their time, talent, and treasure. And we free them to live out that plan. Because that's what stewardship is all about. See, the truth is is that you don't own a cent in your bank account. God has given you everything that you have. You don't own your time on this earth. There are great men who have worked really hard to gain a lot of assets that I have seen choke and die because their time was up. And I I, I mean, I've seen millionaires that had, if you just had the money to leverage it, if I can just go to this clinic, this clinic, this clinic, whatever, can y'all just make me better? And they couldn't because the time was up. See, God has only given us so many days. God has given us the talents that we have, the abilities that we have that we can use to make an eternal difference in the life of somebody else. And he's given us the financial resources that we have. And someone who's being generous in a relationship affirms that and says, go for it. Whatever God has called you to do, however you can take your time, your treasure, and your talent, and allocate it to follow Jesus, I don't care. I'm for you to do that. Because ultimately, healthy friends are not life stealers. They're life givers. Life givers. They're not going to bite you. They're not going to infect you with their junk. They're going to do what it takes to be generous and to give you life. To foster that dream that God has dropped in you. To help affirm God's call on you. To love you. And sometimes that means that you think you're really good at something and they got to tell you that you're not. (laughs) All right. It's the most heartbreaking thing to tell somebody that thinks that they can sing that they can't. But a good friend does that, right? Because we want to give life to God's dreams. We want to see you follow God's calling. We want to see, and we want to give life. And we made a decision as a church that we want to be a life-giving church. We want to take the time and the talent and the treasure that God has given you. And we want you to be able to follow God fully. To be able to make an eternal difference in the life of somebody else. We want to see you blossom and grow under his leadership. We want to be a life-giving church. So healthy friends are life givers. So how do we avoid the biters? Let's go through this very quickly. What do we do to avoid the biters in life? The first thing is that we must learn to classify our relationships. We must learn to classify our relationships to appropriately judge the relationships that we're in. Here's where many of you blow it with your friends and with the people that are around you. You Always try to not classify the relationship, how you actually relate to one another, but you work to classify that person. And you keep coming back and saying, but they're a good person. But they're a good, they're just, they're nice. They're And they love Jesus. And you know what? Sometimes people are nice and they love Jesus and all of that other stuff, but your relationship with them is busted. And you need to be honest about your relationship with them. So we must learn to accurately classify the relationships that we live in and understand that some people, right, they want more of our time than we can give. Some people want, they have a plan for us, and we, we can't follow that plan if we're going to follow Jesus, And so we have to learn to classify that relationship. And that is not a value judgment on a person. It's simply understanding how this relationship has worked out. The second thing that we need to do is that when we have an unhealthy relationship, we need to create margin relationally. We need to create margin relationally. On the walking dead, you learn very early that you can't get close to a biter. At least without paying attention to them. So we have to learn to create margin relationally. We have to create some distance between those unhealthy relationships. That means that you need to stop answering phone calls, returning texts, emails, Facebook messages, all of that stuff. When you know it's unhealthy. When you know it's broken. When you know it's busted. Create Margin relationally. That's why some of you guys, you know that one of the greatest temptations for you is to get in the wrong situation with a bunch of friends that are drinking. So on Friday nights, when your friends are sending you text messages, hey, we're going to go over there and hang out for a little while, you want to come, don't even respond don't even say no when that girl that's way too friendly at the office knows your cell number and sends you a text message hey how you doing tonight you don't respond to that you don't be nice Because it's not a value judgment on them. It's understanding the relationship that exists right there. So we create margin relationally. And the last thing that we must do is we must choose to be life-giving and generous. Because here's what I want all of us to covenant together that we will do. That we will not be biters we won't be that person that people don't want to be around and don't want to get close to because we want to be life-giving and generous. We want to be the kind of person that when people are around us and have the time to engage us that they go, man, I just, I love that. That was, I left feeling a whole lot more encouraged than I was when I saw them. I want to be that kind of friend and that kind of person. Because we're all infected with the virus. We're all infected with the virus. In the second season of The Walking Dead, up until that point, the understanding of the virus was that if you were bit by a zombie, you might become a zombie. But in the second season, they learn that when everyone dies, they become a zombie. There's the potential in every person to become a biter. The potential is there. But the truth is that by God's grace, we've been ransomed from that sinful infection that existed when we were born under Adam. We don't have to become biters. We don't have to become the people that are toxic to the people that are around us. We can be generous and life-giving. We can be free from all of that. And that's the kind of people that we want to be. Let's pray. Today, God, we just look to you and we ask We ask God that for those of us that are in the room that you would help us to clearly identify the relationships that are toxic that are in our lives right now. Some of us have friends that we just need to, maybe for the first time in our life, just go, hey, you know what? I love you. I think you're a great person. It's not a value statement on you, but I just can't hang out with you. Because every time I do, it becomes toxic to my spirit and to my soul. And I'm not going to put my life through that anymore. And there are people that are probably around us that are life-giving and generous and love us and affirm God's plan. And God, would you remind us of those people so that we can replace that relationship with the right person? And today, God... As we think about this, that that we don't want to be that person. We want to commit to you today that we would be a person that would be life-giving and generous to the people that are around us, that we would affirm and love them. God, would you enable us to do that by the power of your Spirit? And God, remind us today that we all have the potential To become biters. That we all have the potential outside of the redeeming blood of your son. So with every head bowed, nobody looking around, eyes closed, I want to ask you a question today. You see, there's no way that you can keep from being a biter. There's no way that you can stop from being that unless Jesus has rescued you from the infection of sin. So the real question today for you is where are you? Where are you? How are you surviving in a world that has been torn apart by a pandemic of sin? Perhaps today you know that you need to commit your life, your heart to Jesus. Perhaps you know today that that infection has been a part of you and you have been compelled to be a biter, but by God's grace, you don't want to be that person anymore. And it can happen right now. That by God's grace, He can free you of that and you can be empowered to live for Him fully. So that's the question. Do you want to be free? If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to do anything else except to raise your hand right now as a statement between you and Jesus. If that's you, and you say, I want to be free. I don't want this infection anymore. I'm tired of it. I just want to be free to not be the person that's toxic. I want to be free to live fully for Jesus. If that's you, raise your hand. I see those hands. And I'll ask one more question and this is important. We all have the potential to become biters. Some of you have been wounded deeply by other people. Some very recently. And I think that maybe today God would remind us That we all have the potential to wound each other. So maybe we need to approach it the same way that God would do it with us. That when we've been wounded, we would forgive graciously and generously and give life instead of bringing death. Maybe today there's somebody that has bitten you that you need to forgive. Let's pray. God, for those who raised their hands a few minutes ago and confessed, hey, I've been that person. I've been toxic, and I don't want to be it anymore. I realize that I'm infected with sin, and God, would you come and free me and cleanse me? So, God, thank you that by your Spirit right now you can do that in their lives. And for those of us that have been bitten, But we realize that at times we've also been biters. God, would you give us the grace to forgive somebody else? It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.